Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sports Day, live from the Toolkit Depot studios at Optus Stadium. For Kia, the seven-seat Kia Sorento large SUV. Yeah, it's a very good evening, everyone, and late afternoon. Welcome to Sports Day as we start a brand new week. And what a week it is. It's going to be a busy one. We've got a busy Monday program here on Sports Day. And very shortly, we'll be speaking to a man that certainly has found his form for the Perth Scorchers, and he could become a very, very valuable player at the top of the order for the Scorchers as they seek, firstly, a home final and possibly back-to-back BBL titles. Speaking about Stephen Eskenazi, he's going to join us a bit later on in the program. We'll find out more, a little bit more about him as well. He's got a very interesting uh, career and also interesting personal life. So we'll have a chat to Stephen uh, a little later on in the program. Now, you may have seen the back page of the West today. It's not often you see the Perth Glory women dominate the back page of the West Australian because of an incident that happened in the A-League women's match between the Perth Glory and the Wellington Phoenix yesterday. Ella Mastrantino of the Glory and Emma Ralston of the Wellington Phoenix got caught up in a bit of an incident and they both were issued with direct red cards by the referee. And today, the match review panel determined that both Master Antonio and Ralston had committed the offence of assault on a player. Assault on a player. And they have been uh, incurred sanctions. Master Antonio, a sanction of three matches, being the minimum sanction for the offence, plus one additional match. And Ralston, a sanction of two matches, being the minimum sanction for the offence. We'll speak to the Perth Glory coach of the A-League women's team, Alex Apakis, very shortly. And the other big story today was that Eddie Jones is back in the fray for the Wallabies. Who would have thought? David Rennie sacked Eddie Jones in after being sacked by England and we're, what, eight months out, seven, eight months out from the World Cup in France. We'll speak to our rugby man Mick Collis a bit later on as well. So big show coming up. Looking forward to you being involved with it. Uh, join us any time on the Temper of Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. Bedshed are the experts in temper mattresses. Pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. And the hot topic today, and I reckon the host broadcaster, the Nine Network, would be pulling their hair out, absolutely pulling their hair out. The hot topic uh, for our friends at Repco, for expert car service, book into your local Repco authorised service centre. The fact, last year, the Australian Open ratings went through the roof. On the back of who? On the back of Ash Barty, who won her home Grand Slam this time last year. And everybody, with Isla Tomjanovic, of course, pulling out due to injury. She was our leading hope 
in the women's draw. So she pulled out about 24 or 36 hours ago. And earlier today, the big draw card, the big draw card, everybody was going to watch him for his tennis and whatever antics he brought to the court, Nick Kyrgios out of the Australian Open. It is a blow to the Open. It is a blow to the host broadcaster. It's a blow to Nick Kyrgios. Here he is on his withdrawal. Yeah, uh, obviously extremely disappointed. Um, you know, I, I know you guys will all, all be wondering, you know, what's going on. So obviously I'm just exhausted from everything and, you know, obviously pretty brutal. Um, in one of the most important tournaments of my career. And so it hasn't been easy at all. Yeah, obviously a, a mixture of emotions. Um, you know, I guess after the US, it always goes back to the last Grand Slam I played was the US Open and obviously extremely hard. I was extremely hard on myself after um, that loss in the quarterfinals, obviously thinking that I could win it from there on. And, and obviously just had Oz Open was on the back of my mind from that day forth as soon as I got off the court against Kachanov. And I, I always wanted to just do everything right and, and, and train right, tick every box and just be ready for the Oz Open. And obviously this coming around, it's just bad timing. Um, but that's life, you know, injuries are part of the sport. Um, I guess I can draw some, you know, inspiration from someone like Thanasi who's had a bunch of injuries and, and has bounced back. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting that I'll be back to my full strength and playing the tennis I was playing um, prior to this event. So yeah, it's, I'm devastated, obviously. It's like, it's my home tournament. Um, I've had some great memories here, obviously, last year, winning the title in doubles and playing the best tennis of my life, probably. And, and going, into, one of, going to, into this event as one of the favourites, it's brutal. But, you know, all I can do now is just look forward, do what I need to do and just come back. Interesting, actually. Uh, as we know, he was forced to withdraw from the United Cup last month due to injury, but participated in that exhibition match against Novak Djokovic last Friday, which was sold out in Melbourne. And, of course, all proceeds went to charity, which was fantastic. But Kyrgios's physiotherapist explained that they used that exhibition match to test out his knee issue. Now, you wouldn't test it out in a gruelling match situation. You'd undergo a fitness test, wouldn't you? With the Australian Open literally a couple of days away, this was Friday night, and they decide to test it out in match simulation. I, I just don't get it. So they tested the knee out in that match and decided that he was not fit enough to attempt to win seven straight matches required to win the Open. Now, reportedly, he has a cyst on the knee, which will need to be drained and treated. And they expect Kyrgios to be fit to compete at Indian Wells in March, then hopefully to Wimbledon where he can make uh, the final that he did last year, maybe go one better. Uh, anyway, I'm no, I'm no doctor. Uh, he's got the team around him that uh, think they make the decisions on his fitness in the best interest of the player concerned. But uh, it's interesting that they knew he had a bit of a, a problem going into that match on Friday night, and I thought they'd try and nurture him and keep him in cotton wool because he'd played a bit of tennis uh, to make sure that at least he could get through uh, the early rounds of the Australian Open and then just work him round by round and work on that knee and hopefully he could go through uh, as many matches as he could perceivably get through, hopefully to at the end of the second week, but it wasn't to be. But to actually play knowing you had a knee injury in that exhibition match on Friday, 
for me is uh, very interesting. Anyway, that's the hot topic. Nick Corrios out of the Australian Open due to that knee injury. Now for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. It is the pinnacle of engineering, the Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Let's just update a couple of the matches that are currently underway. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas is on Margaret Court Arena. He's taken on uh, the Frenchman Hallies, and uh, he took the first set 6-3, and that's a break in the second leads at uh, serving at 4-3. That's Stefanos. At Rod Lave Arena earlier, Rafael Nadal defeated Draper of Great Britain in four sets. So it was a good performance for Rafa. There were some expectations because he'd lost six of his last seven matches. So there were some concerns that he might struggle in the first round, but he beat Jack Draper of the UK and he did fairly well, a bit of a hiccup in one of the sets, but he won in four sets. So great to see Rafa through to the second round. Aniga Svitek is uh, two all in the opening set. She's playing on Rod Lave Arena against uh, Nehemiah of Germany. That sort of brings you up to date uh, with uh, live action at the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar that Australian Open Tennis Update. We'll come back to the tennis a little bit later on. Of course, Alex Demonor uh, is playing tomorrow. We've got some uh, bits and pieces from him before the show is out. Sports headlines, buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power, when you look at apart from the tennis and, of course, the Wallabies sacking coach Dave Rennie, the other sport to come through is that Olivia Gadecki has lived up to the hype to be the first home player to advance to the Australian Open second round at Melbourne Park. She did that earlier today. The emerging star vindicated her wildcard entry with a rousing 7-5-6-1 victory over teenage qualifier Polina Kudamatova. Uh, so a great effort there by Olivia Gadecki, uh, the wild card, the young Aussie, through to the second round. In cricket, Melbourne Stars captain Adam Zampas offered up a novel tweak to one of the most controversial rules in the Big Bash. Now, Zampa believes if a batter skies a shot into the Marvel Stadium roof rather than being awarded six runs, they should be left at risk of being dismissed by a fielder's one-handed catch when the ball drops. Now, that's the idea that's adapted in backyard cricket, isn't it? The famous one-hand, one-bounce provision. But the, the scary thing here is that Zampa is serious about it. He's serious about it. And debate around the quirky Marvel Stadium rule was reignited, as we know, when Joe Clark and Bo Webster both hit the roof during the Stars derby game against the Melbourne Renegades. Just open the roof. Just open the roof. They do hit the ball high in the sky, don't they, in cricket? Uh, it's 10 past five, and, of course, that's Sports Update. All thanks to our friends at Tyre Power, where you can buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tyre Power. 10 past five, Sports Day with Peter Vlahos, back with that controversial A or W League match involving the Perth Glory women yesterday against the Wellington Phoenix. Both players direct red cards, both players suspended. Will the Glory take it to the appeals board tomorrow? We'll find out after this when we speak to their coach. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer.
Great to have you company. It is Sports Day with Peter Vlahos, wherever you may be listening around the state here on SEN uh, through the southwest on Spirit 621, Goldfield 1611, digital radio, DAB Plus at SEN Peel on the SEN WA app or here in Perth on SEN 657. Good performance by the A-League women for the Perth Glory yesterday. They recorded a 2-0 victory over the Wellington Phoenix, uh, which uh, was a very overdue win for the Glory. They're up to eighth now on nine points, um, about five points shy of the top four. Melbourne victory occupied that with 14 points. But as we mentioned, it was a win that the Glory had to have against the Wellington side, uh, the long-distance derby. Uh, Wellington were struggling a bit at the foot of the table. But it's uh, the result's been overshadowed somewhat by the events of a couple of players, one from the respective sides. And joining us now is the coach of the A-League women's side for the Perth Glory in Alex Apakis. Alex, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Peter. Congratulations on the win yesterday. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, it was an important one for you. Yeah, it, it absolutely was, given the context of, you know, being at the halfway point of the season. Now, we've we've had some very good performances and um, didn't get enough to show from it in the past. But, you know, in this instance, we, we got the three points and we set ourselves up to be in striking distance of the, of the top four going into the second half of the season. Not everything's been going your way, certainly from an injury point of view. You've copped a couple of uh, significant blows in recent weeks, haven't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we, we had that unfortunate news uh, regarding Riley Bayston from last week against Melbourne Victory. She she did her ACL, and yeah, she's getting ready to to uh, do the procedure now, so she can start her rehab. But you know, obviously, she won't join us for the rest of the season. That's a that's a huge blow. She was the the leading goal scorer of the competition and a real shining light um, within our team. But we're players are ready to step up and they showed that on the weekend. Mm. So you're confident you can cover that for the second half of the season? Yeah, absolutely. We ought to be confident in the squad. Um, there's there's an internal belief. There's players who are putting their hand up and wanting to, you know, fill the void and fill the boots. And, you know, there also may be an opportunity to bring someone in who's a free agent from overseas or, or locally. So, look, we're, we're focused on the players that we've got at the moment. Um, but if, you know, if there's an opportunity to strengthen and add an extra number, then we'll, we'll look at that as well. Not often you see the Perth Glory A-League women uh, team on the back page of this morning's West Australian. A big photo involving two of the players involved in Ella Master Antonio and Emma Ralston of the Wellington Phoenix because of an incident that occurred yesterday. Both players were given a direct and straight red card. So both teams were down to 10 men. And since then, as we know, the match review panel has convened and handed both players uh, a penalty. Master Antonio at this stage has been given three weeks and Ralston two weeks. Talking about blows to the squad, uh, that is a significant one. You've got till tomorrow to decide whether you'll appeal the uh, severity of the penalty. Tell us firstly about the incident, Alex, and how you saw it. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, at the time... um, I didn't have a clear view of it. I, I just saw the referee make the decision and, and hand out the red cards. And yeah, obviously it's not something you do see every day. So it just takes a, a moment just to to comprehend. But you know, seeing the replays back, I think it's a, it's a very subjective matter. And the way it's been interpreted, you know, is obviously different from the referee from their perspective. And we may have our views as well that differ from that. 
But, um, you know, Ella's not a, a violent player. She's a competitor and a great competitor at that, but she's certainly not a violent one. So it's it's out of character and we're going to make sure that we support her through through this and, and obviously work towards a, a plan for tomorrow when that um, mm. deadline is. Was there a bit of niggle in the game? No, I, I think... Um, both teams needed a result, and and that that had showed from from the onset of the fixture itself. It was there was good energy, um, and we were fortunate to go up two 0 quite early in the game. And yeah, as a result of that, the the Wellington team did their, their best to to chase it. And there was always going to they're obviously going to come out firing when when you go two two 0 down early. Um, and yeah, you could feel that a little bit, but not not any 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 worse or any more than any other fixture. Um, we're, we're competitive. The Kiwis are competitive. The West Australians are competitive. And I think that's all it was. Saying that, as you mentioned, uh, the processes will take place regarding whether there's an appeal from the Perth Glory A-League women's camp tomorrow. I think you've got till, I think it is sort of mid-morning or late morning to determine whether that's the case. Um, I gather you'll look at it thoroughly and try and see if you can sustain any evidence that may hold up uh, if there is an appeal. Oh, one hundred percent. We'll um, we've already started that process. The club, the club's been in dialogue. We've been in dialogue with the players. We've got um, we've got accounts of of their from their perspective from on the field. We're going to take into consideration the referees' report. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll make sure we do our due diligence and cover everything that we can. Because ultimately, we want we want Ella on the park, and Ella makes our team stronger. Yeah, and let, if, if there's a if there's a way to uh, yeah to to help that, then we're gonna we're gonna find it. Yeah, eleven o'clock, in fact, uh, two o'clock Eastern uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time, eleven a.m. tomorrow morning. The decision has to be made, so we'll follow that very very closely. Saying that, if Ella is ruled out, and as I said, you've had those couple of other injuries as well, and also. It appears that the governing body hasn't been too fair regarding fixtures going forward. I was reading today, and I spoke to you on Saturday night at the A-League match, that coming to the end of the season, the final three games of the season, and who knows, the Perth Glory team could be in the balance of playing the finals. You've got to play, what, three games in six days in three separate states. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's how it looks at this point in time. Um, and yeah, it's it's not ideal. And you know, obviously, you mentioned the injuries and the potential suspension. But you know, we also have to look at the opportunity this presents us to uh, to really stand tall. We, we've spoken over the last three seasons about some of the challenges we've had within this group due to COVID predominantly. Um, so we're 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 very well versed when it comes to adversity, and we're we're ready for this despite it not being ideal. So can you? Because the game against Sydney FC, you're due to play what this weekend has been postponed because of a venue issue. Yeah, that, that's that's the way it's come across through the correspondence from um, from APL. They've suggested to us that Sydney FC was unable to, um, yeah, utilise the ground that was meant to be uh, used for the fixture this weekend, and as a result, the game's been postponed towards the end of the season, which is where we have that pile up now of fixtures in different states. And look, it's not ideal. Um, you know, I, I don't believe it's fair. I feel I feel like it's a, it's a well-being issue and a player load issue. Um, 
and hopefully the APL can can see that as well. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us, Alex. Congratulations on the victory yesterday. Uh, hard-earned, but an important one, and certainly keeps the season alive for the uh, A-League Perth Glory women. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Appreciate the support. Good on you. Alex Aparkas there. And, of course, you can download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access. Uh, Alex Aparkas there. So we'll have to wait and see whether they do appeal uh, Ella Master Antonio's three-match ban uh, by 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll take a break. 23 past five with Peter Vlahos. Uh, John Melman, well done to him. He's won his first-round match to Queenslander in five sets over uh, Husler, that is Mark andrea Husler of Switzerland, 6-3 in the fifth. So good luck to him. He's through. There's an Aussie through to the second round of the Australian Open. By the way, um, Alex Demonor will play tomorrow. 24 past five. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Yeah, great to have your company. Peter Vlahos here. This is Sports Day, and we're live uh, from the Toolkit Depot studios here at Optus Stadium. You can join us anytime on the Temper of Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. He made 66 not out from 54 balls yesterday, but we just fell short by six runs of Perth Scorchers against the Sydney Sixers. And Stephen Eskenazi, who's called a global cricketer, many call him, I've been looking forward to having a chat to Stephen, and he joins us on the program now. Stephen, thanks for your time. Anytime, Peter. How are you going? Great knock yesterday. We just fell a fraction short, but all good teams do lose the occasional game, and the Scorchers still are in a very good position for the remainder of the BBL season. And it looks like you've found your way into the side and scoring a few runs. You must be pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it was a, a very productive um, trip of the East Coast, going there and beating the Heat and beating the Thunder at the showgrounds a couple of days ago, and obviously falling short to a really strong Sixers side is no disgrace, and maybe a good checkpoint for us as a group to to check back in with the things that we do well. As you said, losing a game at that stage in the competition is by no means the end of the world. We're still top of the ladder um, with two home games to go, so we know our destiny is in our own hands, and if we can play. You know, anywhere near the standard we've been playing the last couple of weeks, we'll be we'll be flying into that back end of the competition really confident. I'm really keen to find out more about uh, Stephen Eskenazi in just a moment, but I need to talk to you about the incident yesterday with the 30 old, 39 year old wily old man in Dan Christian. He stopped during his run up, offered a warning to yourself uh, at the non-strikers end, and reportedly says, "Now that's your warning, mate." As he walked back to the top of his mark, <laughs> what happened exactly? Take us through that moment. Well, I think the two or three previous balls, AJ Ty had knocked a few twos down the ground. Um, and I might not be known as the, the quickest guy on the circuit, but I don't think I was trying to steal too much ground. And I managed to come back. Um, and look, I think DC was just obviously trying to make sure that in a crunch game um, with a set batter that I wasn't taking any liberties there. But I think if he was to go and watch the replays of, you know, how much ground I was trying to take, I was basically still in my crease when he was releasing it. So... Look, I don't think there was any malice involved. It is within the laws of the game, you know, whether it's in 
the spirit of the game, I'm not entirely sure. But, um, you know, he did give me a warning. If he had taken the bails there and I was an inch out, I would have been pretty disappointed. But, um, yeah, all's well that, then, that ends well. Um, I do think it is going to be a little bit more um, common to see those sorts of things happen. And it is going to keep batters more in their crease. Um, and I'm sure all the bowlers in the Big Bash are quite happy with that. But um, but I wasn't too perturbed by it. It wasn't too much of an issue. Yeah. The man can incident uh, all of a sudden is becoming quite pronounced, as we say, with Adam Zampa leading the way just a few weeks ago. Now, Steve, you're a wicket keeper, you're a batsman, you're a modern-day player, you play around the world, you're a product of three nations, you were born in Johannesburg, I think, to an English mother and a Zimbabwean father. I tell you what, you're a bit of a mixture, aren't you? Yeah, a pretty unique cricketing story, to be honest. Well, a pretty unique background in general. Um, a lot of my family living in South Africa. I've got my brother living in London. I've lived there for 10 years. My parents have sort of bounced around Australia for a lot of the last 20 years from Perth. Went to Melbourne for a few years. A bit of a stint in Canberra and back here. So, yeah, friends in a lot of different cities, which is pretty cool. Um, but pretty amazing to be able to come back to Perth and represent Western Australia and, and play with some good old friends. And for the first time in my 10-year career, play some games in front of friends and family, which has been pretty special. Saying that, you played for WA at underage level and you played local cricket here, great cricket, didn't you? Was it uh, with Claremont Netherlands? Yep, Claremont Netherlands is my um, grade team that I played for about 10 years going up before I went to the UK and then I came back and played the odd summer here and there when I first started playing for Middlesex. So you became a professional cricketer when you went to England after you left Perth, is that correct? And you played, what, for Hampshire? Uh, initially, I went over um, and played for Middlesex, which is based in North London at Lords. Yeah. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to be pretty much playing there the majority of the last 10 years or so. Um, as I said, the first couple of years, I managed to get back to Perth and play some grade cricket. But you know what it's like with, with opportunities in the winter and when you settle in a new city, um, it's been a little bit more difficult to get back. So I thought I'd come back for one, you know, one almost last hurrah and then to get this opportunity couldn't have worked out any better. How did the invitation come about for you to come back and wear the orange? Well, I think naturally, you know, the landscape of short format cricket at the moment is there's so many competitions. I think at the moment, we were talking at the airport today, there's the Big Bash, the SAT20, the ILT20, and one other competition. So, you know, you're talking about a big pool of overseas players being used. Um, and I was smart and just coming back here. And, you know, worst case scenario was I was going to train out here um, with Jim Allen be a coach. I was going to just play my club cricket, spend some time with some family. Um, and best case scenario, I was going to put myself in a position to, to be a replacement player, you know, whether that was to be for, for Perth or any of the other big bash teams. I wasn't too sure at the time. Um, and then naturally there was a bit of poor luck with some of the overseas players. Um, that Perth had picked up in the draft and I was just here playing and training for Claremont and then Vosey just called me up and and the opportunity arose at the start of December. So, yeah, I'd say it's a little bit lucky, but also I I sort of knew the opportunities would arise in this competition and I wanted to make sure that I was in the best position possible to, to take it. Of course, you took your position at the top of the order after Faf Duplessis had to go back and play in the inaugural South African T20 competition. He's playing for Joburg at the moment. I think it's the Super Giants. Uh, and you came in once he left. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was quite um, a nice lead for me personally and also for the organisation for me to be around and 
get to know the culture of, of the way the Scorchers play and get to watch a few games and just observe and, and see how I could maybe get in there and, and make an impact. So to be able to train with the boys and spend time with them for two or three weeks beforehand was, you know, fantastic. I was itching to get out there. It was, it was great to spend time with someone like Saf, who was a sporting idol of mine and somebody who I've looked up to my whole career. Um, and then to be able to come in after the back of some good weeks preparation for me on the Optus practice surfaces, um, and making sure that I, any adjustments that I needed to make, I was able to make then. And I think that's helped me be able to try and hit the ground running and, and make a positive impact in these last couple of games. And, you know, we know that competition's hotting up, particularly in the top three. So there's no time to, to dilly-dally. It's about getting in there and, and trying to win games with Perth as quickly as possible. So hopefully I can take a bit of that rhythm from the last few games into Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. Okay, this is the biggest question of the interview. Get ready, Stephen, okay? Now, you've got uh, a dual passport, ready. an English passport, an Australian passport. What nationality are you? Oh, it's a very good question <laughs> and one that I've been asked a lot of. But I, I might not sound it, but, but I certainly think of myself as British. Um, I did my secondary schooling in Australia, but outside of that, I lived in the UK for about 10 years before I moved here and about 10 years since I've been back, so... So London is home for me at the moment. Um, my life has been in Britain for the last 10 years. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of my time trying to play for England and, and still incredibly passionate about trying to do that. So um, I might have a twang um, and I might use the word stoked and those sorts of things, but I am, I'm British through and through, I'd say. But Eskenazi is not a British surname, is it? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean... My, like you said, my dad was Zimbabwean. Um, we have some Egyptian heritage on my dad's side. Um, and I grew up a, l- a little bit at the start of my life in South Africa too. So, yeah, a little bit all over the place. Uh, <laughs> a lot of different cultures and a lot of different places. But we've seen you can hit the ball because in the T20 Blast, you scored your first century, I think an unbeaten 102 just recently. And you've played, of course, the short form of the game. I think you even replaced... Ian Morgan uh, as the T20 captain for Middlesex. Was it last season you took over the captaincy from Morgan? Yeah, I took over the full-time captaincy at Middlesex last year, which was pretty special for me after nine or ten years um, at the organisation to be able to to learn under someone like Morgan, who's probably you know the best white ball captain ever to have played the game, was incredible for me. Um, and I think it was a nice time for him as he came to the end of his international career, still having him in the team was, was awesome for me to be able to bounce ideas off, but to be able to take over a little bit more responsibility was, was quite nice for me, and I think it came at, a, at the right time. Good stuff. Of course, the game on Wednesday is here at uh, the Perth Stadium, Optus Stadium, Perth Scorchers against the Hobart Hurricanes. What do you think about your home ground? Yeah, it's a pretty special place to, to play and a pretty intimidating place to come and play your cricket. Um, the surface obviously poses... A lot more questions than a lot of the East Coast wickets. And I think to be able to come over here and not having experienced that a lot, it's going to be really tough for, for someone who hasn't played there too much and a team like Hobart to come. But we know they're incredibly talented. They've got an, an unbelievable batting lineup. You know, the likes of McDermott and Wade and, and David and some high-quality overseas players. And they've got some pace too. So, look, I think if, if we can create the atmosphere of that ground like we have done, it's a really tough place to come and win. And, and we've played some of our best cricket there. So hopefully we can pack the stadium and put on a bit of a show. Good on you, Steve. Lovely to talk to you, mate. Congratulations uh, on your last couple of innings, and may it continue on Wednesday night. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me on. Good on you, uh, Stephen Eskenazi, the uh, Perth Scorchers opening. Bat joining us here on Sports Day. 
Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Yeah, great to have your company. Great to have a chat to Stephen Eskenazi. We wish him the best of luck. Uh, at the top of the order for the Perth Scorchers against the Hobart Hurricanes on Wednesday. The other big story, apart from Nick Kyrgios pulling out of the Australian Open, has been that Eddie Jones is the new Wallabies coach. Where did that come from? Mick Collis, uh, our Sports Day rugby expert, now joins us on the program. G'day, Mick. How are you going? Yeah, Pete. Always a pleasure. Were you surprised by the announcement this morning? Yeah, I, 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 I was. I got a, um, a text from mate. I thought, no, nah, that can't be. And everyone's saying, is this fake news? Because this, um, this was the news that Eddie Jones had, you know, Dave Rennie's been sacked and Eddie Jones is the new coach. I mean, we knew that once Eddie got sacked by England not long ago, he had been in talks with Australian rugby, but no one was sure in what role, whether it was going to be in some sort of consultancy role or as a director of coaching. And, and I thought that would always be a bit odd for um, for Dave Rennie to, to work under something like that, and and the Wallabies they had a uh, a camp on the Gold Coast last week, preparing for the World Cup that Dave Rennie organised, and and there was an article uh, in the paper a week ago today where Dave Rennie was quoted as saying, yeah, there'll be no changes to the coaching um, until after the World Cup, we're just full steam ahead for for the World Cup. So he obviously didn't see it coming either. But a look, a real surprise. But Eddie Jones, he's back. Mm. And to be fair, where Eddie Jones has gone, apart from towards the end of his career, success has often followed, hasn't it? Oh, look, he's been outstanding. And if you're going just on win rate, win-loss records, so Dave Rennie, the, the former coach, was on 38%. Eddie Jones's record is 73%. So you don't need to be Einstein to work out who's got the betting, better coaching record. And, and he had out, Eddie once, um, he had an outstanding... Everywhere he's gone, he's had good results. Like, he took Australia to the World Cup in 2003. Then he, he lost seven in a row, so the Australian sacked him. Then he went and worked with South Africa, I think it was, in 2007, uh to them, took them to the World Cup. I mean, 2015, he led Japan at the World Cup, and they had that victory over the Springboks. Um, so he's, and then when he when he took over England, he just had a, a dream run with England. Um, they ended up, they came out. So England, I think they, that was about 2016. So they England won their first Six Nations in 13 years. Then they came out to Australia. They had a three-test series whitewash over the Wallabies. So he he just. He can get results very quickly because he is very intense and he, and he just expects success. And that's the difference that he will bring to the Wallabies. Well, the World Cup is in France in September. It's not far away. Uh, do you think Rugby Australia got a bit uh, paranoid suggesting if we keep David Rennie in, it could be a World Cup disaster? We need to act now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Wallabies, they're not on the nose, but then they used to be everyone's favourite winter team. And, you know, even if you weren't a rugby fan, when the, when winter was around, you used to support the Wallabies. And the Wallabies have dropped so far off the radar because they just haven't had the success that, that Australians really demand of, of their teams to get behind them. So... When when he had that he, look, he had a bad a bad record. But when they went on that spring tour at the end of the year, that was his that was his make or break. And and the Wallabies got beaten by Italy, and that is 
that's just not allowed. That's unheard of. It never happened before. And that, for me, that was the low point. And once that happened, I think they're thinking that Dave Rennie's he's got to go. So the problem is, yes, it's that very short turnaround. He's got seven months now to get the Wallabies right for the World Cup. There's only five. Uh, there's four tests. Definitely, they might play a game against France when they get across to France. So he's got a maximum of five test matches to actually get a Wallaby side ready for a World Cup. And the thing that Dave Rennie did, he chopped and changed the team so much, he hasn't really helped Eddie Jones at all. If you had have had stability uh, in, in the lead-up over the what we've seen from Dave Rennie over the past couple of years, Eddie'd have a probably, I mean, he'll have his idea, obviously, but but the, the public would have a bit more of an idea of what, you know, what our team's going to be. But no one knows because Rennie just kept on changing. And it's something we were guilty at with the last World Cup. We just kept chopping and changing. And you can't do that. You've got to give guys the chance to get some combinations. But here is, you know, Eddie Jones is coming in with four, maybe five, if he's lucky, tests to get it right. So... Look, Rennie, Rennie had to go. Once they lost against Italy, they couldn't afford to to risk the guy, um, you know, going badly for the World Cup because they just would have lost so many fans. And once England sacked Eddie Jones, all of a sudden you've got one of the best coaches in the world floating around looking for a job. Plus, he's Australian. Australia's going bad. It just made sense for Rugby Australia just to to cut Dave Rennie loose and slot Eddie straight back in there. You're my go-to man when it comes to rugby. You've broadcast it. You've played it. You've been around it all your life. Tell us about the, the way the Wallabies will play under Eddie Jones. Will it be different? If so, will it be more attractive? Will it be attractive? It depends how you define attractive. If you define attractive by winning, then I think Eddie Jones will get results. If you, if you want to go back to... The, and it's funny, Eddie's, Eddie came from um, Ramwick, which is a rugby club in Sydney, at a time where they had David Campisi and the Ellers, and it was all about running rugby. And that's what Australian rugby prided itself on for so long was playing this running rugby where Eddie came in and started coaching despite the success he had he had a very boring sterile style of game where he would plan 20 phases ahead so players lost the ability to play what's in front of them they had they, everything was planned so you couldn't if you saw something on the left hand side you couldn't take it because the plan was for that particular phase you had to go to the right so a lot of players didn't actually enjoy playing under Eddie, but he got some great results. And I think at, at the way that Australia is at the moment, results are the most important thing that we need. Apparently, he has mellowed over his time and he may not be quite as structured as he was, but I think he will definitely, that'll be his go-to, is to play this structured game. Maybe not for 20 phases, but maybe for 10. And if we get 10, then he might let the players play what's in front of them. But I think it'll be a, a pretty structured style of game. And, and look, he'll play to the strengths that the Wallabies have got. Um, we're missing a couple of key players. Taniela Tupo, who's the best prop in the world, he's got an injured calf at the moment, so I don't know if he'll... He, actually, it's always Achilles. So he's got his calf. One of his calves is probably both of yours and both of mine put together, <laughs> stuffed into a sock. So how he's going to recover from a torn Achilles when there's so much pressure from that calf on that Achilles, I don't know if he'll even be right for the World Cup. Quade Cooper, our only, or our, you know, our first pick number 10, he's 35 and he's torn his Achilles. He reckons that his recovery's been good. So we're a bit skinny in a couple of spots, so... It's going to be a real test of, of Eddie's ability to get the best out of some of these players who probably aren't world-class players. It's whether Eddie, in seven months, can make them world-class players. Mm, interesting. So, Mick, as I leave you, and I thank you very much for your time, are you comfortable as a rugby aficionado with the decision that Rugby Australia made? Not really. Um, I just think they... Because oh, the thing is, who... who and, and Tim Horan, the former Wallaby, he's come out and said that in the next two years... We need to make the semi-finals of the World Cup 
we need to win a Bledisloe Cup and we've got to beat the Lions. So the Lions, we've got the World Cup coming up this year, Bledisloe this year and next year, obviously, and then we've got the Lions here in 2025. And if we can do that, that'll justify the decision. Because for me, there's no, there's no accountability for the people that are choosing these coaches. We saw Michael Checker got parachuted in before the uh, 20... What World Cup? He got parachuted in that before the 2019 World Cup, was it? Oh, God. But we go through so many coaches, and then they got rid of him, and then Dave Rennie's come in. Now we've got rid of Dave Rennie. And the people that are making these decisions, they're not held to account. So it'll be the right decision if he works. But for me, and we've got this um, succession plan in place where... Dave Rennie was the coach. He was meant to take us through to 2023. And a guy called Dan McKellar, who'd coached the Brumbies, he's been the assistant coach. The successor plan was McKellar then takes over from Rennie. Now we've sacked Rennie. Um, McKellar, is he going to hang around for, for six years? Because he knows for the next five years, he's not going to be able to coach the Wallabies. So is he going to hang around or are we going to lose him? Scott Wiseman, or the attack coach, he's just left as well. So now we've lost the head coach and the, and the attack coach in the space of a month, heading into a World Cup in seven months' time with an assistant coach that probably won't hang around much longer because he's not going to have the Wallabies job. Mm. So there's just a lot of disharmony at the, at the people that are running the show. And, you know, whether that's going to drift down to the players, I don't know. But they're in for shock because Eddie Jones, as I said, he demands he demands success. And uh, by all reports, Dave Rennie had been a little bit soft on some of the players. Eddie Jones is coming to come in and he's going to turn the place upside down. And I just think we'll get a lot of upside probably in this seven months. If you had a bit more time, I think we'd have a bit more success. As I said, those four test matches is not a lot to get some combinations, but he, he, Eddie Jones will certainly come in. He'll kick some cans around. And uh, look, I think for the moment, he is probably a good choice to get us through to this World Cup. And then we'll just see what, how many plays he burns out over the rest of his career. <laughs> You're a good choice to talk rugby here on Sports Day. Mickey Collins, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Pete. Yeah, interesting, wasn't it? Interesting development with Eddie Jones. We'll have to wait and see how it all plays out uh, with the Rugby World Cup happening in France in September. Let's just update uh, what's happening uh, live at the moment. The men's singles, uh, Margaret Cordarina, Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, the number three seeded player in the tournament, took the first two sets over Quentin Hullis of France, 6-3, and it's 5 all on serve. In fact, Tsitsipas uh, to serve to make it six all and go to a third set tiebreaker. Uh, Igor Svitek, uh, the number one seeded player in the women's singles at Rod Laver Arena, uh, took the first set against uh, Nehemiah of Germany, 6-4. But Nehemiah has broken the pole in the second set and leads by three games to one. So that just brings you up to date with a couple of the major players and where they're at at the moment. Just really repeating that Johnny Millman, the Queenslander, won his first round match in five sets. So congratulations to him, 6-3 in the fifth. Let's have a look at Alex Dimonor. Speaking of tennis, of course, he's in action tomorrow. Uh, and his aspirations are on eventually maybe getting to number one. I'm just happy if if Australian tennis is is doing well I mean I think I'm happy you know we've made the final of Davis Cup in both the men's and uh, and then the final at the Billie Jean King Cup I think it's ultimately if you look at the bigger picture uh, as Aussies uh, the more Aussies we can have in the top 100 and playing the slams and really pushing each other just 
to get as close as we can as as we once were as as a nation. I mean, this nation has such a rich culture and history in tennis, and and I think we're we're just going in the right direction and and it's good to see that we're all competitive and whenever any Aussie does well it's it's great for the whole country. Alex Demonor and as I go for New Farm Australian through and through just checking the purse weather for tomorrow we're in for a nice warm day the weather's good the wind's going to abate a bit it's going to be 29 degrees tomorrow we'll still have that southeasterly at 20 to 30 knots of course New Farm's products are formulated with the highest quality right here in Australia New Farm Australian through and through And for those people in Bunbury, for your forecast tomorrow, you are looking at a top of 28 degrees and mostly sunny. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Lee. And don't forget, get behind the Perth Wildcats this season as well. Head to tickertech.com.au. They play Friday night against the Kings.